Hello and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Schism. Joined today by my co-host Adam. Hi, guys. And today we're going to be carrying on the theme of dark Hollywood and the hidden esoteric meanings, predictive programming, social commentary found in zombie movies. Oh, yes, the undead. We're going to be uh, going throughout the history of zombie movies. I'm, I'm a big fan. Zombie movies, games, I tell you what, zombie I, everything. Probably more games. That's probably more games. But after the last couple of weeks we've had... Films. We have watched a lot of zombie movies. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you aware of the the very first zombie movie? Yes. Haven't, but I haven't seen it because it is quite an old one, isn't it? It's it's black and white. White zombie from 1932. Yeah. Yes, kids, they did have black and white TVs. <laughs> <laughs> Our white zombie, do you know the, the, the band White Zombie? Because they were obviously named after the movie. No. No, this band, they were like, uh, uh, Rob Zombie was the singer. Rob Zombie then went on to be a solo artist. Oh, that was his original. Remember him? He was like yeah. around during the kind of like new metal sort of era. I remember he's like the horror film he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he sung that. Dracula! That's the one. Yeah. Dracula! <laughs> it's more like that. Yeah, more like that. But yeah, he, uh, as, as well as being in White Zombie and then uh, going on to his solo metal career as Rob Zombie, he did also direct a couple of horror movies. House of a Thousand Corpses. That's the one, I know. Yes. And uh, The Devil's Rejects. Oh, do you know what? That's the way... was quite oh, good, yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. And he even done, like, a reimagining of John Carpenter's Halloween. I didn't know that well. either. He loved his horror, didn't he? He loved his horror, yeah. And he also changed his name by Deepole to Rob Zombie. Legend. So, pretty serious about zombieism. <laughs> If that's a word, it is now. <laughs> so even when this guy's at an airport, like someone's looking down, Rob Zombie, and they look, and then they look at the guy, and they're like, <laughs> Yeah, you just you just see like it's difficult enough at airports at the moment, anyway. I know they, they're definitely going to want to take his temperature. <laughs> they might have a, they might have a chainsaw standby. Uh, the movie White Zombie that um, his band was named after. That's the first ever zombie movie, but it's quite different to the zombie movies we're used to today. Yeah. Because like, the word zombie comes from voodoo origins. So his meanings changed over the years, but it originally refers to like a human corpse mysteriously reanimating to serve the undead and the voodoo master that kind of yeah. brought them back to life. So they're controlled yeah. by like it, voodoo magic. It was brought on more possession thing, isn't it? Yeah. bring them back and then they're under your control yeah. yeah this like voodoo master he he uses them as slaves right. so he actually has them like working at like a plantation so it's really reminiscent of slavery it's, it's like a fully functional zombie operated like, <laughs> could you imagine McDonald's <laughs> I can yeah. yeah so in the trailer there's this like great voiceover that's like Master of the Undead Damned, the sinister power behind the white zombies. <laughs> and then it goes like, zombies. Yeah, and then he that. just really calmly replies, yes, 
they are my servants. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> but it's it's kind of like playing off like the fear of the black man and his culture that you know the West doesn't understand and this voodoo and black magic. Yeah, the suspicion. And, there are a lot of like, suspicion. What is, you're not familiar with this? This is yeah, know. right. And like maybe they get vengeance for slavery. Yeah. Through this, and in turn enslave us. So we're shown a bit of that in the movie, and then we're shown this young couple, uh, Neil and Madeline, and they're about to be married. And they arrive at the home of this wealthy plantation owner. This plantation owner ends up falling in love with the girl that's set to be married. So he goes to the voodoo master to get some kind of you know, oh, su- like, supernatural assistance uh, to get her yeah, to fall in love with oh, him. And, get, oh, wow. and, and so he so he can marry her. So shortly after she's married, she dies. But then the owner and the voodoo master go to the tomb where she's brought back as a zombie. Right. So her husband is distraught about this. He's like in a drunken kind of stupor about it all. He, he, He has like visions of seeing her. He goes down to the tomb. He discovers the body's missing. Right. And he's like, what? I have to kind of investigate this. So he gets the assistance of like a local like missionary to kind of help him uncover what's going on. And the missionary straight away is like, I know he's buying this. This smells like grave robbing. <laughs> so he, he goes down to look for the voodoo master at his plantation with the missionary. Charles, the guy that gave Madeline the potion, starts to to regret what he's done and feel bad about it. And he also starts clocking that maybe he's been like possessed and he's going to turn. Always happens too late, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) And then basically the food master loses his power over the undead. They all fall off a cliff. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Like when the spell is broken, you almost think that they would go back to normal and it'd be okay. But just like lemmings, they just actually just fall off the cliff. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) They just think sort of like, turn into a suicide cult. This kind of set a blueprint for zombie films that followed after, but not for too long. Yeah, only for a certain amount of time. Yeah, like zombie movies after this, they had like the voodoo drums. There was always that black magic kind of element. Yeah, they followed the possession thing. Yeah, it got slammed by the critics. Like they hate, <laughs> they, they, they hated it and thought it was ridiculous. Well, they, they, they commented a lot of things. They said the acting was poor. They thought yeah. the story was nonsensical. You know what I mean? I think they almost tried to all good points. <laughs> well, you know, in a way, they almost tried to like throw it away. Like this, this, this will never come to anything, and yet it did. Then, well, just... it's still say what you want about it, but it's still the first feature length zombie film. And for that reason, it's a cult classic and been described as the architect model for all zombie movies. And a lot that did follow had that same voodoo flex and cannibal tribes, witch doctors. Mm. A lot of the movies that followed, like I Walked With a Zombie, Ghostbreakers, King of Zombies, Plague of the Zombies, Mm. they all contained... The, the same type of zombies and the blank-eyed stairs and the voodoo drums and, and even zombies performing like manual labour as slaves. So a lot of these themes were present in the movies that followed. Yeah, yeah. But I think really when Night of the Living Dead came out, that set the modern blueprint for zombie movies. Yeah, yeah. And that's when things really kind of it, changed. It, it, it didn't 
I mean, it set a new blueprint because obviously there was still we still got films now that are made with the idea of voodoo magic and stuff. But and we're possession. talking and possession right now. But we're talking back then, only what twenty years or twenty five years later. Romero didn't say he kind of tore up the script with the theme of the films, but he definitely changed the idea of zombies. Yeah, and that was nineteen sixty eight. You know, they love their theme in it because the theme title poster, they won't stay down. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. It was like, that's what they focused in on now. They're the undead. Mm. They're not people that have been possessed by some kind of voodoo magic or whatever. No, this is people coming out of graves. It is the yeah. walking dead. Yeah. yeah. And obviously it, it starts in, in the graveyard. Yes, of course. With the, uh, what's the classic line? They're coming for you, Barbara. <laughs> he's so creepy. Yeah. And he's being like really mean about the dead. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like mocking the dead. <laughs> and like you almost kind of feel like, oh, is that why they come back to life? You know, he'd almost put like a hex or a curse by speaking ill of the dead in a, in a graveyard. But he, he gets taken out. Like, almost straight away. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. yeah. Like a lot of good zombie like movies so, to so, follow. Social justice for the zombies straight away. Yeah, you're kind of on the side of the zombies. Yeah, 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 at that moment you're kind of rooting for them. Yeah. <laughs> Important to add at this point as well, they're not called zombies. No. They're actually called ghouls. Yeah. Yeah, he, that, that phrase ghouls. was coined very early, was it? The ghouls, the Romero lights. I think that's a, that's a good phrase, good terminology actually. Well, I think that they started calling them zombies because when they were advertising Night of the Living Dead abroad and they were playing around with different sort of wording and phrasing for different territories, mm. then zombie was something that obviously caught on and had more resonance. They must have done a Q&A and a session with every country. What are you more scared of this word? Ghoul, zombie, or something? <laughs> or the zombies? It's got a Z in it, it sounds horrible. Yeah. yeah, people are probably thinking, this is the weirdest survey I've ever taken part in. <laughs> Which one of these do you find most scary? Ghouls? Infected? Zombies? Oh, zombies. zombies, zombies. Straight away. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing was with them is we're quite aimless and lifeless. Our first view of them was very different to what we've seen in the controlled form. They were always yeah, they were, aimless, almost a little bit. Yeah, yeah, kind of like aimlessly lumbering along. I mean, there's this other great line, like, they look like people, but they act like animals, which makes me think straight away of, of sheep. And like a lot of the time now, when you hear people, oh, he's just a, just a zombie or he's just a sheep. It's like that straight, straight away comes comes to my mind, that, that, that quote. But um, it's actually inspired by the Richard Matheson book, yeah. I Am Legend. Yeah, that came out in 1954, yeah. And it's quite an interesting... Because obviously there's a film that was based on that book, which come out years later with Will Smith. Mm. But then I Am Legend is also inspired by another book. Yeah, it too, it's had to wear two more films. That's the weirdest thing, because, you know, when they actually did it, they really mixed it up, because it was the original novel was I Am Legend. But in that book... He kind of stuck to the theme that there were these vampires that were the undead. And after this whole society collapsed from, I think it was like a nuclear war, or they were like infected, but these infected people were also like blood-sucking vampires. But yeah, so it's set in a post-apocalyptic world, sort of, sort of world and stuff. where they've taken over and the main character is 
the last man last on earth, on, on earth. Well, seemingly well that and that was the title of the first film which was very similar to the i am legend book which came out in 1964 uh, which was the last man on earth now that was the truest true to the rendition of the original book but then what followed was the amiga man which is charlton heston's film now the amiga man also follows very closely to the I Am Legend book, the original Matheson novel. They scrapped the vampire idea and then they decided to work with like the zombified. And right. also in the book, Matheson actually describes how there's a splinter society, these blood-sucking vampires or undead actually gain intelligence. So while in the book, our main protagonist is out killing what ones he can at night and he realises that some are becoming intelligent, he then realises that the some are actually not only become intelligent, but they've actually got their consciousness back. So they're living with this virus. And they all of a sudden start to form like a splinter group. Now, fortunately, our main protagonist is going around still killing them, right? Which is, of course... Fortunately. Fortunately for them, they're infected, unlucky. This guy's still running around thinking it's like, you know, all guns blazing, just kill as many of you bastards as I can. But, of course, in the end not to ruin a book, the kind of idea is that he gets captured and they have to kill him because he no longer fits in with their right, society, okay. their new society of, even though they, they have this disease that gives them whatever these ravenous feelings, they can live with it and they can still actually create a new world together. Problem is that he's still human. He's no, he doesn't fit in anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah, right. And that's why he is the legend. I am legend. Uh, so Romero kind of, what he he's he loved that book like i am legend and he wanted to okay if that's the end of the story i want to go back and i want to tell the start the of the story. story yes if if the end is it's complete uh, you know, it's like, oblivion yeah, yeah. Like a post apocalyptic world or well, how did it get it from where we are now to there yes. i want to start when that infection first first took place he obviously changed it from blood-sucking creatures, vampires, to zombies and the undead. But effectively, his mission was, I want to tell... The, the first part of the story. The first part of the story and not what he saw as the end of the story. Yeah. So it's originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters, which I don't mind. <laughs> I think it's a good title, but it, it's quite strong, isn't it? I think for an audience to say Night of the Living Dead. I got Living Dead, okay. Night of the Flesh Eaters, I mean. Yeah, it's pretty... Um, this is 1968. It paints a picture. <laughs> it's very, like, carnal. Isn't it? A nice red picture. Like, you've got, like, straight away, the word flesh in there as well. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit porno. It is. Flesh. Eaters, like, oh, flesh eaters. Even, the, even the word of eater. Like, eaters. Like the flesh eaters, yeah. I don't know, to me it sounds like a zombie porno. Yeah, so you see why straight away they were like, hmm, they won't buy this. Like, isn't like the male equivalent of a dildo, isn't it called like a fleshlight or something? You know this thing? I don't have one. <laughs> no, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a... No, I don't know what you're talking about. It, it's like a fake... It's like a fake vagina, like a rubber fake vagina thing that you can, like, carry around with you. Jesus. It looks like a torch, like a flashlight, but where... That's why it's called a flashlight. 
because where where the beam would be is just a fake <laughs> vagina. <laughs> Look, I think I've got to say this to the audience. I've now actually got, got a photo of this up on my phone. Showing a picture this is. You can see why it's called a flashlight. Dude, I can't look at it. I can't. You've got a flashlight. This looks, is a flashlight. It looks like something out of an alien film. <laughs> I know. It is bizarre. I mean, what what guy owns one of these? Sorry yeah. if any of our listeners own a flashlight, but yeah, it, it's not oh right. God, you know, the world's coming to flashlights. God help us. Really, I'm sorry. That's. But yeah, when I'm like seeing the uh, night of the <laughs> night of the flesh eaters. Yeah, that's what came to mind. Well, you know what? Now I've got the picture in my head, so now I know we can do that. Excellent. <laughs> I've learned something. But yeah, they decided to go with Night of the Living Dead, and uh, it was filmed on a shoestring budget, and it's mainly just shot on a farmhouse. Yeah, and a few of those shots in the graveyard and stuff. You know, but but it still holds up. It is still a really good film, and it's yeah. and and the gore's great in it, and yes, the acting is like pretty wooden and very kind of hot. I, I, I like for like horror acting is almost like its own thing. Yeah, yeah. Like it, you can't really judge it by the standards of other genres well, of even, movies even, because even the story, we're talking about zombies. You can even the story itself because it's not really explained too well how the zombies became zombies. There's a little talk about the crashed. Satellite? Satellite that was meant to be going to Venus that's returned to Earth with radiation on it or something like that. Yeah, but it's so, like, that's just on a news report. The news report, that's not even... It's really hardly mentioned. Mentioned. It's not like they're all talking about that, like a common theme. No, it's almost just something... It's just put out there to be like, look, it might have had something to do with this. Yeah. It's Weirdly, radiation is something that does crop up again and again when talking about zombies. So. I feel like the weird thing he did with that thing, actually, there, Romero's, he didn't actually follow that up, Romero, but at the same time, I think he planted other seeds. You know what I mean? The idea of radiation causing yeah. people to turn to things, to whatever that may be. You can't help but think that he might have... I mean, it, radiation causes mutations. Mutations, we know that. I mean, you've only got to look at the... Chernobyl. ...fallout from Chernobyl mm. and these kind of... Uh, nuclear babies being born. So, I mean, you've seen the photos where they've got the massive heads and the bulging yeah. eyes and stuff. For Romero, for like, just on the tiny budget, I don't really want the box office, didn't it? I mean, it actually made quite... It yeah, really, right, yeah. Six, on its budget, it was really successful. It was considered a big hit, you know, at the time, you know. And even though people weren't really used to, say, the zombie films of this nature, even then it was recognised to be like... It's just, it definitely hit, hit a nerve. Nerve for people, yeah. yeah. You know, there was a lot of sort of good things about it in terms of even, you know, we talked about the fact that it was a black guy. You know, it was an African-American guy who was playing the protagonist, which was, you know, absolutely unheard of for a film in the 60s. Yeah, and quite a flip reversal of the original zombie movies that we were just talking about, where actually it was like the voodoo yeah. magic and, and, the, and the, the fear of the black man. And then suddenly you've got a black guy that is the main protagonist protecting everyone against the zombies in Romero's film. Yeah. It's like a complete inversion. So this film really set the classic zombie set of rules. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of movies, like Zombieland goes into this and they're touching it on Shaun of the Dead. Like There's rules that everyone kind of knows about zombie movies mm. or about zombies in, in general. So they can be killed by going for the head. Or as they said in the movie we watched last night, Kill the Head. Kill the Head, yeah. In the Dead Don't Die. Good film. <laughs> yeah. Um, or Fire. Yeah. That's, that's actually... Fireworks treat. Decapitation as well. Like, if you can take the... Kill the Head. 
you know, take destroy the brain or take the head off the shoulders. Yeah. You got yourself a dead undead. Uh, I'm sure terminology. <laughs> a dead or undead. Yeah. Deader. Deader, yeah. They're um, reanimated corpses, slow moving, lumbering, call it the zombie shuffle. Not all like that. I mean, in modern movies, they've turned into this kind of like rage zombie that we talk about later. But your traditional zombies, like slow, lumbering moves. I mean, if, if anyone's unfamiliar with the zombie shuffle, uh, Michael Jackson thriller video. Just, yeah. There you go. There's your zombie shuffle. And, <laughs> and they're possessed by a hunger for brains or human flesh. And human flesh. Now, do you remember that scene actually from The Night of the Living Dead when the vehicle blows up with the, the two people, the, the young couple inside, and the zombies pull the bodies out and they start eating the burnt bodies to, to make out like George Romero's trying to make out doesn't matter if you're normal or you're cooked, the zombies will still eat you. In fact, <laughs> it looked like they might prefer you if you've been cooked first as well. Well, I mean... I like barbecue, <laughs> you don't. But they're possessed by their hunger for human flesh. If they don't eat human flesh, they don't die. I mean, I know they're already dead, but they don't keel over. They kind of go into more of a standby mode. Yes. If they're left on their own, like say, for example, they're in a part of town or a city and there's no humans around, they kind of go into this standby mode where they're, they're reactivated again by the smell of human flesh. Yeah, it's always... But when there's nothing around to prey on... They kind of sit in that sort of... That wobble, the stands... The stands kind of just hanging out. Hanging out. <laughs> like people down in Shoreditch on Friday night just hanging out inside <laughs> the pavements, yeah. But then if suddenly humans come back into the equation and they get a little smell... I mean, that's another thing as well. It's like their eyesight isn't great, but they've got a good... It's like they're more like animals, like they, they have a heightened sense of smell, you yeah. feel like. like they can smell well, human the blood. If, if that's the flesh. urge to eat, then you'd think that would be one of their heightened smells. Do you know what I mean? To seek out the flesh that, that drives them to want to feast on people. Yeah. And they can't really communicate and they're quite dumb. That's for sure. Let's be honest. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to be... You know, prejudice against, against zombies. Zombies? I mean, no, not at all. No, I we mean, can we say the z word? Oh, no. Is it okay? Is it all right? Are we breaking laws here? What are they like? The, are we inf- we prefer infected. <laughs> oh, oh, is that is that the effective pronoun to use for them? Okay. Oh, so you're anti-infected? Oh, we wouldn't want to use that word around zombies. Oh, careful! Oh shit! I said zombies. Damn it! No, they wouldn't even like infected because that's kind of that that that's a, that sounds even worse. <laughs> yeah, make them sound like a leper. We prefer reanimated. Yes. Now that's the that's trend. what they go with. Reanimated. That, that almost sounds like a newer me as well. Reanimated. Oh, the old me was like an old animated. I'm a reanimated. Yeah, yeah. It's the in word for zombies. But yeah, they are they are pretty dumb. <laughs> but they can learn and evolve. Well, they can sort of the, they have the base instinct things that still probably like do things like smash their way through windows, get, maybe not say always open doors, but they do get to that point, even simple things. Like even in Night of the Living Dead, there was one point where one of them was using a knife and they, yes. they started to so use tools. tools yeah. So it shows you there's still something. And there has been zombie movies where they've been like even, I don't know, like firing guns, doing all kinds of stuff. So... They can, they can learn. They can learn, definitely. Yeah. But they seem to have some memories of their past. Yeah. So they have like kind of memories of like past activities or cycles or things that they used to do. 
and sometimes they gravitate back to old places that they used to go to or things that they used to do and repeat the kind of, you know, they go through the motions kind of thing. Yeah. So it's like they've got these memories of maybe more zombified activities that they were doing when they were human yeah. that they were yeah. kind of doing on a standby mode. Yeah. Now, if you get bitten by a zombie, everyone knows that you usually turn within what we're talking here. What's the time frame? This is a good one, dude. I mean... It does differ. It does differ, but would you say... I I think it depends whether you're bitten or you're killed, because I think it's kind of a mix there. That's true. Like, if it's a scratch or something, that's going to take longer. Longer. If you're killed, like, if you're devoured and not completely devoured, like, they didn't eat your head, then I think you're just going to come back one... That's pretty pretty instant. instant. A bite longer, a scratch or something, maybe even longer. But we're usually talking, like, within a few minutes Minutes, or something. So you you don't have long (laughs) before you need to decide to kill this person whilst they're living or whilst they're... Well, we'll we'll bring it up later, but in 28 days, it was 15 seconds, isn't it? The rage gene, yeah, 15 right. seconds to it. So you yeah. had... I think in World War Z, it was less. It was like 12 seconds or something. But that was a similar, like, rage-infected zombie, wasn't it? Like That's not long. I know. <laughs> I know. It just reminds me of, like, Apple or something, where they're like, you know, now you can store, like, thousands of songs on your phone. Now it's 10,000. Now it's unlimited. Now you can log on with this broadband in five seconds, four seconds, it's like they're just trying to like up the zombie, it's like update the zombie. Yeah, get him to activate as quickly. Make them faster, make them activate faster. You you can never kill them. Yeah, they they do go for a pretty raw progression for films. But yeah, well, the base zombie was, was, you know, slow, lumbering, could just about use tools, but Romero kind of himself, through his main quadology, kind of takes us for a progression of how zombies do change yeah so moving on then to his next movie dawn of the dead yeah direct sequel when there's no room in hell the dead will walk the earth (laughs) kind of like a religious sort of undertone to that one very which doesn't really reflect the movie because the movie is more like a social commentary on mindless consumerism he done it very well didn't he else when he used well, the, the whole sort of synopsis for the second film being the mall. And yeah, yeah, he found yeah. It. The first movie set at the the farmhouse, and the set the second movie really is set at the mall. Oh, yeah. That's like the main. The second, it, it came about. Place where it all it, goes down. It came about because he was taking a helicopter ride, wasn't he, with his friend over the shopping That's right. mall, and his friend was a, I think his friend was a security guard there. His friend said to him, you know, he's like bragging about it. Bragging about it. So this place is so secure, you know, there's ever like an apocalypse. And I think maybe Sims, maybe zombies necessarily, but it's things like nuclear war or anything, like, oh, this shopping mall would have everything closed. Well, I think he, he, I might, think he might have even taken him to the mall because I remember reading that the combination of him being told that this would be a great place to, or the perfect place to oh, kind yeah, of hunker and then, down. And, then he, and then he went round the mall and then as he was looking at all the zombified the shop, shoppers. The glass shiny windows as well. Yeah, and seeing like the, the kind of blissed out look in their eyes and stuff, he just thought, this is it. This is it. This has got to be the, the setting for my next movie. So a lot of people hail Dawn of the Dead as the best zombie movie of all time. Well, it got the what remake. You think? It, got, it got the remake, didn't it? I mean, the, the Night of the Living Dead, Dead did get a remake as well that came out in 1990. Not that great. Not that great. No, no. I, I saw it the other night. Yeah, it wasn't a... I mean, you know what it was? It was like a, just like the same, exactly the same film. It, it, in fact, it got terrible reviews. Funny enough, um, Tom Savini, 
who was the makeup guy that Romero wanted on the original Night of the Living Dead but couldn't afford him having at the time, he then allowed him to direct his remake. Dawn of the Dead, the second film, that's the one that got the the Ving Rhames really pumped up action-y. I thought it was a great but the remake. Yeah, but the remake's really good and, it's kind, and it kind of combines a bit of Dawn of the Dead with Day of the Dead. Yeah, the third the Romero one, yeah. It kind of throws ideas from both in there mm. and I thought it did it real justice. But obviously when Dawn of the Dead hit, it was a different era it was different. And, and it was just way more big, impressive. It was, big, it was bigger scale because he yeah. decided he's a shopping mall. I mean, before, you think Romero had kept a very small set, hadn't he? He kept yeah. a very small set at the farmhouse. And now all of a sudden, due to the success of it, they were kind of like, well, what, what do you want to explore, George? And he was thought, well, the shopping mall, he had the great idea of the mass consumerism. Even the idea of, is a mall could be quite confusing. So imagine if you were being chased with zombies in there, there'd be sort of little back exits and stuff. It would make great for better chase scenes as well, you yeah. know, as well. So he kind of looked at the scale and thought, how can we push the adrenaline more, you know, in, in, in the having it? And I guess a mall would have been a very familiar place to everyone in Western society at that point. It would have been a hangout spot for so many young people and shoppers. And it was, mm. but it was, a relatively new thing so people were probably completely encapsulated by the idea of malls weirdly in today's society a lot of malls are like ghost towns now like malls are shutting down all over the place yeah. especially in the uk that's true everyone's buying stuff online the malls the 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 deserted malls are now almost like relics like these kind of like deserted churches of consumerism that have been abandoned. <laughs> Great analogy. Yeah, no, it's... But, it's, yeah, at, at the time, malls would have been the really, best thing really, ever yeah. and everyone was going crazy for them. And in the movie, a lot of the zombies are going back to the parts of the mall they that like, they gravitated towards when they were alive. Well, there's, there's a funny thing I was joking about with you because obviously it being a direct sequel from the original, so Romero's kind of following the theme still that there's been... A big apocalypse there's only a few people surviving in different groups together and it's these just so happen to focus on these people that have found refuge in the shopping mall together but it has the scene where I think the zombies in the fountain because all shopping malls that have that little what, fake green area it's not a real it's just yeah, fake plants a water feature fountain. they might even have some like spraying smells around <laughs> there to give the sense of a guppy in a garden but there's a zombie just sitting by the fountain like I'm enjoying the sound of the water <laughs> that would probably be me in the mall <laughs> but yeah it was definitely like a social commentary on like excess shopping mindless consumerism people becoming these kind of mindless zombies I mean when you watch Black Friday footage of people that have lost their minds they're kind of acting like a zombie horde yeah I mean that's just got worse and worse screaming and shouting for those TVs yeah I'm TV HD yeah well no they're more like a rabid horde because they open the doors, don't they? And they charge through and it's almost like a scene from 28 Days Later or World War Z because they're running in, they're clambering over TVs, they're being violent and you see people like acting like animals. You know, getting hurt, scratched, yeah. bitten, the whole yeah. lot. I've seen people fighting over <laughs> a TV or an electrical appliance like two rabid dogs would fight over a bone. Yeah. I mean, they, you know... Or two zombies over a severed arm. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so he'd got it He'd got it bang on for yeah. for then. Nailed it. And I guess the what, what, what we're seeing with uh, Black Friday, that's, 
That's more up, up to date. That's more like rage filled zombies. <laughs> Maybe that's why they had to make them like, well, oh God, we've got to, we've got to make the zombies. It's like, like the society reflects people's true nature. Yeah. And zombie science actually exists in our own world. There's a video from a lecture in 1995 from a theology professor called Dr. Pierre Gilbert. And he warned of a coming mandatory vaccine containing liquid crystals that when exposed to magnetic frequencies, 5G maybe, could turn vaccine recipients into, his words, zombies. And he says, when translated from French into English, in the biological destruction, there are the organised tempests on the magnetic fields. What will follow is the contamination of the bloodstreams of mankind creating intentional infections. This will be enforced by laws that will make vaccination mandatory. Sound familiar? And these vaccines will make it possible to control people. The vaccines will have liquid crystals that will become hosted in the brain cells, which will become micro receivers of electromagnetic fields where waves of very low frequencies will be sent. And through these low frequency waves, people will be unable to think. His words again, you will be turned into a zombie. Oh dear, deary, deary me. Then he goes on to say, don't think of this as a hypothesis. This has been done. And it doesn't end there either. In 2016, The Guardian published, this is a a headline from The Guardian, genetically engineered magnetoprotein remotely controls brain and behaviour. And there are videos where you can see zebrafish larvae that have been injected with magneto and they're being manipulated with magnetic fields. So as Dr. Gilbert states, this is not a conspiracy. This has been done. They can control not only zebrafish, but any living being through frequencies. In March of 2020, Defence One published an article on how hydrogel biosensors are ready to be injected into people's bodies, funded by DARPA and Bill Gates. If you search magnetic nanoparticles, you will find several articles and videos explaining the so-called benefits of this invasive technology that control parts of the human body via external frequencies. Straight away, 5G is coming to mind here. And the magnetoprotein I've heard talked about when it comes to these current shots they're giving people and the same with the hydrogel. So pretty crazy that stuff that Dr. Pierre Gilbert was saying back in 1995 and articles that have been published afterwards all talking about vaccines when used in conjunction with certain frequencies control people's minds and turn them into Gilbert's words, not mine, zombies. Okay, so we move on to Day of the Dead. The, the third of the Romero films, which is even more epic in scale. And he was actually quoted to say he wanted it to be so epic. He wanted it to be the gone with the wind of zombie films. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we joked about it. I said, why gone with the wind? Straight away, I'm just thinking, frankly, my dear, I don't give a brains. <laughs> What was he he thinking of that one? (laughs) But it it wasn't quite as epic as he wanted it to be because the budget was cut in in half. It was over a 200-page script and he was forced to scale down. So we're now getting to the point where actually he's nearly up to I Am Legend or, or, or he's getting closer to that point because now we're at a point where 
society's been completely consumed by zombies mm. and they outnumber humans. I think it's something mental, like 400,000 to one. Yeah, it's huge. But there's hardly any remaining yeah. survivors. And it's set in a military underground facility where there's scientists and one of the main characters, Dr. Logan, he's doing his experiments. Yeah. And he's actually collecting zombies to do experiments on them. Yeah, he's got loads and like loads of those sort of um, trolleys, so those metal trolleys laid out, and he's got them all cut open. Yeah, it's and like huge medical lab. And you're cut, and so this one's got a little. This movie's got a bit more science behind it, and we start to really understand which, zombies from a scientific point of which view. Which is pretty cool about this film. Within doing his experiments, Doctor Logan finds out that it takes like ten to twelve years for the brain decay to completely render them immobile. So he talks about, like, oh, first it attacks the frontal lobe, then the middle system, and then the final lobe, which is, like, the R-complex, the reptilian brain. And and that and basically that is all they're running off. So it's just, like, instinctual animal-like behaviour, aggression, dominance, it's the earliest, primal instincts. earliest part of the brain, isn't it, development? The, early, the, uh, the oldest part of the brain. Yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like prehistoric jelly. Yeah. And this is really interesting because from a social commentary perspective, again, it's the reptilian brain that is triggered by fear. Yeah. So the powers that be, they know this. And the media pumps us full of fear all the time. So we lose that critical thinking part of our brain and we're acting through pure emotion, pure instinct. Instinct, yeah. That reptilian brain that is just... Fear through impulse and stuff. Yeah, and say during the pandemic, for example, people can't see the lies and the contradictions and the hypocrisy. They're, they're just going off fear. They're yeah. just going off emotion. Yeah. So they're bypassing all of that and they're bypassing critical thinking and logic and they're kind of acting in a in a zombified way. That's, that's kind of like what Logan's drawing us to in the third film, saying how the zombies now, their state is is based all on this last part of the brain. So although it's not possible to cure the decay, it's possible to domesticate the zombies and condition them to behave how we want them to. Although we can't get rid of them, maybe we can teach them to eat something other than humans. Maybe we can coexist in some way. That's kind of what Dr. Logan is. Yeah interested in yeah, he has a test subject doing. doesn't he yeah and, and he has one like special special test subject <laughs> called bub oh yeah bub and he's and this particular zombie seems to have a higher cognitive ability than the other zombies and he, he's kind of blurring the line between human and zombie he teaches him like things like how to answer a phone yeah right yeah like even managed to teach him how to talk yeah through like beef treats like you would give to a, to a dog. Of course, beef flavour, because these zombies just would not fetch for a vegetarian treat, would they? No. <clears throat> Even chicken might not necessarily be their thing. Some red meat. Red meat, yeah. 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 They're fleshy. <laughs> We've already discussed this. But yeah, through like beef treats, he kind of gets Bub to start responding to stuff. Like you said, there's a scene where he gets him to answer the phone and he's trying to get him to say hello. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Nearly, nearly. Because <laughs> yeah, the character Bub's like, looks, he's a zombie. He's grey skin. He's got his like dead eyes, like colourless eyes, doesn't he? Like, yeah, like, but there is some emotion, emotion there. There is like something there. Like, he was obviously like ex-military or something because there's a scene where like a military guy 
guy steps in who's also watching him through the glass. Bub salutes him. Yeah. And he's still remembering that kind of motion and that. Like we said before, them, them remembering their old memories and habits, habits yeah. and stuff. And he remembers obviously he was a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. So he does that. And then there's a bit where they give him a razor and he kind of grazes it down his face. Like he almost remembers the motion of like shaving, the act yeah. of shaving. And obviously these memories in some distant part of his mind, but he's still kind of accessing them. There's still a level of humanity there that obviously Dr. Logan is interested in, in, in kind of targeting to maybe change, change the zombie and make it evolve into something that we can, we can live with. Because at this point, the idea of destroying them all is just yeah, too many off the table. Yeah, up too many of them. You know what I mean? Like it says 400,000 to one. So, yeah, the third film really does sort of put into the point of where we stand as humans next to the zombies. It kind of leads pretty well into the fourth film, really. Yeah. Yeah, Land of the Dead, which there's a 20-year there's a gap between Day of the Dead and Land of the Dead. Day of the Dead was 1985, Land of the Dead's 2005. It's a 20-year tw- years. gap, yeah. But it still, you know, still follows on pretty well. Yeah, so society in this movie is rebuilding itself after the zombie outbreak, and you have this kind of rich-poor divide where you have the rich living in this huge tower called Fiddler's Green, yeah. which has been taken over by Dennis Hopper. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good in that, in that film, actually. Yeah. And you've got the rest of society that can't afford to live in this tower, forced to live on the streets in slums and in the shadow of the rich elites. And zombies aren't a direct threat because there's like these big electrified fences yeah, and outposts yeah, around the city. Yeah, secure, secure the city. Yeah, it's kind of like like military outposts, martial law, mm. that kind of style takeover. Yeah. And then you've got this kind of Hunger Games divide between most of the survivors that are left who are just living in complete slummage and then the people in the rich tower. Yeah, with a tower. Yeah, yeah. The, Your it, ivory tower. Yeah, I kind of like that because it's always done by like, almost like in any sort of fictional book, there's always like some controlling master at the top of a tower. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's the dictator, which yeah, is kind of Hopper's character. Fiddler's Green. Weird, weird, weird name for it. Yeah, so in the kind of slummage society, they see zombies as, like, lesser than humans and they're, like, berating, chained up, and people even, like, getting selfies with well, the they chained make, up they zombies. they make games with them and stuff, don't they? They use them as entertainment. Yeah, they have, like, like cage matches where, yeah. like, they're, they're, yeah, like, using them for, like, entertainment. Like, people will go to, like, a dog fight or something. Yeah. And did you know that actually two of the zombies that are chained up are the two guys from Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, well, one's Simon the, Pegg and... Um, one's the director. It's the director and Simon Pegg. It's not Nick Frost. It's actually the director. The director uh, Edgar Pegg. Wright. Yeah, yeah. And Romero liked Shaun of the Dead so much that he invited them to have a cameo in Land of the Dead as zombies. Pretty great, though. Which is pretty cool. Go on, George. So it's almost like the people in the slums... Uh, imprisoned and then in turn they're imprisoning the zombies yeah. it's almost like a food chain the main part of the film is a lot to do with how the zombies have progressed now because in the fourth film the progression of the zombies is very different yeah they've kind of gone from like brainless horde to sort of working together almost to have like a zombie revolution yeah because they don't like the way that they're being treated like they have these uh, fireworks that they let off that they call sky flowers and they kind of 
distract the zombies and they're looking up at the fireworks and then they just come in with the cars and just mow them all down. down. Yeah, it's like quite, it's quite <laughs> savage. But that's that's when like the, the sort of the main character comes in. You feel sorry for the zombies. You do, you do. It, at, at some point, it's almost like you, you're... Well, it's kind of what George done. You're faced with the ugliness of human nature, of the way we're just driving around, slaughtering these emotionless zombies, just putting them to the slaughter. It's kind of, you know, it's made out to be necessary because these things will kill you at the same time. It's like a grim reflection of like true self, isn't it, in human nature? Yeah, and I think throughout the movies, actually, by the time you get to Land of the Dead, you you're, you kind of empathise with them more and more throughout the movies. And then you've kind of learned more about their genetic makeup in the film before this, and you kind of felt for for Bub, the imprisoned zombie in the in the testing facility, and then now in the Land of the Dead, you've got Big Daddy. Yeah, he's the zombie character that you're kind of zoomed into, and similar to Bub, he has like a higher cognitive ability than the other zombies. He yes. seems to be more evolved. Yeah, he's in, in a way. I mean, big. He's called Big Daddy, isn't he? And uh, he certainly he, is. He, he, and he is a big character. <laughs> he, 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 I forget who was that. Is it Tiny Lister who played that massive sort of African American guy in like Big Devo? Devo in like, oh, Friday yeah. film. In Friday, yeah. But yeah, and it, and it's like he's like a size. He's a, it's a similar vibe. He's yeah, a, yeah. and a similar vibe as well. But he turns out to be the intelligent zombie. He's yeah, the, he's the one actually the first. Is doesn't actually immune to the the sky flowers, the fireworks. They've noticed that he's not distracted by them when they let him off. Yeah. Well, the first time he's spotted, there's like a scavenger crew that goes for like a hunt for nearby su- supplies. They're like from Fiddler's Green, and while <laughs> I, can't lie, <laughs> I know, <laughs> and while investigating the area, they come across Big Daddy, who must have worked at the, like, the gas station yeah. when he was alive, because they see him and he's there with like the pump. And he's kind of doing like the action with the gas pump. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's like one of the group says something like, the, the zombies are learning to be us again, pretending to be alive. That Good thing. line. Good line, actually. Yeah, he kind of notices they're evolving in some way. Or this particular zombie is, is more evolved. So they, they kind of spot Big Daddy early on. Then, like you said, when they're letting off, the sky flowers, the the fireworks. Big Daddy's unaffected, and he's also trying to wake the other zombies up. Yes, he's he's, he's trying to say, "Don't be distracted by the by the bright lights." Like he's pushing them out of the way, and then even when they come down to mow them down and shoot them again, he's trying to he's trying to save them. He's trying to save the other zombies. He he is perceived to seem to have an emotional attachment to his own kind. He has empathy empathy for his own zombie. Kinfolk, so shall we call them? In fact, so isn't there a scene when they they gunning them down and he's trying to push them out of the way, yeah. Big Daddy, and he yeah, yeah. grabs the, the woman zombie and they <laughs> shoot her head off, but he's left just holding her head and he's crying like, oh no! Yeah. It's just the yeah. zombie's head just in his hand. And you do, and and as the audience member, you're starting to feel more empathy for the zombies, hmm. and yeah. Big Daddy is showing empathy for them and more empathy than the human characters that suddenly in this movie you it's like the humans really have turned into the, like the antagonists and the and the blood, villains the bloodthirsty ones almost and yeah kind of the ones acting in a more barbaric fashion certainly more so than big daddy yeah and so 
yeah, in this movie, you're really, you're, you're, you're suddenly on the side of the zombies, yeah. basically. Well, the fact is, Big Daddy's also quite intelligent as well, because he looks up to fire a gun or something. Like he, yeah, right, yeah. He, he yeah. Obviously, He's using a firearm by I the mean, end of like, it. He becomes quite a strong character yeah, right. to defeat. And, and, and he kind of leads the zombie revolution, that as the viewer, you're, you're kind of behind it. Yeah. Like, you're like, Viva the revolution! Yeah. <laughs> Z revolution! It's like we get a look of our true reflection, you know, of our nature in the way the zombies behaved. And by the end of the film, the sort of the humans are still in their, like, sort of area, but they have this sort of... Almost thing. like a truce. Like a truce, yeah. They're like, leaving them alone. Because, really, they weren't doing much. They were in this mode that we are talking about earlier, this kind of static, uh, immobile, you know, they're just, like, hanging out or whatever. yeah. yeah. And they weren't really, do, you know, they weren't really harming anyone. They were on the other side of the fence, so to speak. So it's like... Ah, they're just, you know, just the fingers. Well, not so to speak. They are literally on the, on the other side of a fence. As a fence, you know, <laughs> fingers going through all the time. <laughs> but yeah, they weren't really harming anyone. And then they're like, right, let off the fireworks, mow them all down. You're like, yeah, this is a, a bit, bit unfair. It's like, it's like fish in a barrel. <laughs> you just leave them to it. But but they kind of do lead them to it, so, yeah. don't they? And they, they sort of spare Big Daddy. And, and even they've been kind of like, not won over by the zombies, but they're now at the point where they also, like they, they have empathy for them and feel their plight. And there's, and there's kind of like a... Like a truce True. between well, humans and zombies. I think, you know, They've learned to coexist well, in a sense. I think the one thing is that what George Sharon was the progression by the end, that the fact that the zombies could learn, like, you know, if with the third film into the fourth film, he was showing that the zombies now weren't these mindless, undead creatures and his quadology. He kind of showed his progression of the fact that the zombies could learn, could even maybe feel empathy, which is, hang on, was that maybe like a human emotion? So. The zombies have been humanised more than we ever thought possible and the lines have been blurred. The scavengers in the film have really seen enough of themselves in the zombies, enough humanity in the zombies that, in a sense, they feel like they'd be killing one of their own. Mm. You know what I mean? They've recognised the human within them and... Undead or not. <laughs> as the viewer, yeah, we've, we've, kind of, we've kind of done the same. Yeah, and I guess as a culture, we've also come to love zombies. Yeah. We love zombies. Yeah. The familiarity of them as well, like when new zombie movies come out, the backdrop that they're set against might be different, but the zombies are the familiar part. They're the part that you kind of... It's like, it's like what we said earlier. We know what we're nostalgic about. Like, well, it's like we know, good old-fashioned zombies. You know where you are with zombies. It's like, like well, we're, like, we're talking about earlier, like we know the rules. Like, you know where you're staying with zombies. Yeah, like, I know the rules. Provided you've got either a shotgun... Always the weapon of choice if it's a firearm and probably a chainsaw, you know. <laughs> shears are pretty useful for decapitation, but a chainsaw would be a lot quicker. So <laughs> if you're talking about chainsaws as well, there's only one zombie movie that really comes to mind. Oh. Or one that comes to mind straight away. Classic. Evil Dead. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Evil Dead 2. We all remember that scene. <laughs> Amazing. Such... A great movie. I think Evil Dead's even better than the first. Evil Dead Two is even better than the first yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, well. I, I know we were talking about this at length. How the story is just slightly reworks the the first Evil Dead film. Yes, is, is it's like kind of just a, a better version than the first one. And like Ash, the main character, he he doesn't seem to have any recollection of the first movie. He's almost like, okay, forget about the first movie, and this is this is yeah now just a. 
Well, the, well, the weird thing, thing is, the thing is, they had like the same sort of characters, but the beginning was different in terms of like, yeah, they were all together in the very first film, all seven or more six of them in the, in the house, and in this one, it's Ash and his girl finding the house. So it's, but the, the weird thing we were talking about is Ash finding the main protagonist being in the first and the second film, and it's like you had no idea what just had <laughs> happened in the first film. Yeah, like you wouldn't go back. But back to that woods. Like, so, yeah, it, it's kind of strange that Sammy Ramey, of course, does The Evil Dead. It's kind of weird that he do, does this sequel that is, in turn, a bit of a rehash of his first film. Yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a better version. We would definitely say the second Evil Dead is better than the first one, even if they are similar, because I think even Ash's character, you know, I think he puts more into his acting and even his emotional torture I think he really goes yeah everything's been like finely tuned yeah I think I mean a lot of people might not say that this is necessarily a zombie movie like because really the these zombies in Evil Dead are they're possessed by demonic spirits yeah this is where we've kind of mixed it up here about zombies so you could say I mean they're called they're not called zombies for, for starters and they're not called ghouls either they're they're called the deadites and they're actually demonic zombies that are possessed by these demons that can possess anything with their with their touch. They've been confined by the Book of the Dead for thousands of years, but they can be summoned back through through the Book of the Dead. You can sort of recite like the words and bring yeah. these forces back into play. Exactly, and and they're kind of the Deadites are explained as a living evil. They're like an interdimensional race born in the space between spaces. They're almost always active. You just don't know they're there. Yeah, so, they ha- so, so they're in like a neighbouring dimension or space between spaces, a space in between dimensions maybe. But um, they, have a, they have a hunger for life that they don't possess. They're like a plague on our world feasting off our life energy because they don't have any. They, they are the undead. Well, that is... They are... That is like the, that. the goal that we find quite early from the demonic spirits in both the films is the fact that they want to take possession of all the members in the, the refuge, the cabin, and they want to one by one possess each one. Yeah, and they also want to torment them, like similar to say like the Exorcist. Yes, which which the effects in it kind of remind you of the Exorcist because they are that good and that gory and in your face and visceral, but. It's like constant from the outset. It's like the Exorcist has got it builds up to that, doesn't it? But this is just like from it's like every scene well, is like the most horrific just, part of the Exorcist. Just from <laughs> just from the sister in the basement transforming, yeah, rattling on the, the trap door. I mean, it's dead by door, dead by door. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, it's terrifying. Doesn't doesn't stop actually. Yeah, I mean the zombies or the. The deadites, rather, are are terrifying, and they like to kind of mock and humiliate and torture their victims, and it and it's all about torment for them. Yeah, they like get a game out of it. Like they, yeah. in a way, the, the demonic, demonic spirits see it as a game they're playing with. These yeah, so humans. you kind of get the feeling that they feed off like human suffering, mm. like that's their like sustenance kind of thing. I mean, it it reminds me straight away of like when when we've watched. Uh, David Icke talks and he's talking about there's evil or demonic or whatever you want to call them forces in, in another dimension that are influencing our world and they feed off human suffering and they have taken control 
of key figures in the shadows that control our world and possess them, if you like, to do their bidding. And it sounds really <laughs> insane when you say it like that, but that's very similar to this plot when you think about it. Yeah. And this is something that, like I'm saying, David Icke, where he's drawing all this information from is, well, Christianity has called this false the demons. In Islam, it's called the jinn. Ancient tribes people have called this the Chittahuri. In some manner or form, it, it's always there. It's just has yeah. a different name. Yeah, and it's been there over many cultures and religions for thousands of years. He's simply bringing all this information together to say, well, what if this force has always been there and is still here and is still influencing our world today? And look at our world. Okay. Our world feels like it's run by a psychotic consciousness and an evil force. Maybe this force isn't demons. Maybe it is just a type of consciousness that people that get power craze and a megalomaniacs are kind of possessed by. Yeah, yeah. Like well, Hitler seemed possessed. Well, I was going to say, that we, they didn't even need a book of the dead to summon them. Yeah, it could just be a, a, a kind of distorted type of consciousness from another dimension or from this dimension. But it's definitely like a type of possession yeah. that these people that have committed these atrocities and control our world from the shadows and seem like they want to enslave humanity and create as much chaos and human suffering as possible because like in Evil Dead, that is their life force. Yeah. So there's some real deep esoteric kind of stuff in, in the Evil Dead movies that can, can be linked to that. The, um, the Book of Dead, sorry, the Book of the Dead was written by almost like a secret society called the Dark Ones. And they've got, they're like these cloaked figures that had some kind of special powers or like, again, it kind of reminded me of like, oh, the people with that divine blood and yeah. they have some kind of... The chosen ones. Because even someone like the Queen has divine blood. She is closer to, she's closer to God. The same with someone like the Pope. It's almost like, oh, they're chosen. They, they, they you know. The bloodlines have been pure and rich and have been here for... Yes. And, and, and ancient Chinese emperors were said to have dragon's blood. This idea of like... Sounds like Daenerys Targaryen, mate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so many things in popular culture are all based on this mythology about our own world, our own reality. Yeah. Most people just aren't aware of that. So these Dark Ones created the Book of the Dead to kind of house and control the demons and then... All this time afterwards, Ash has unwittingly <laughs> summoned them back. And the movie's a complete gore fest. Yeah. And it's absolutely brilliant. It, but you've got to kind of get it. You've yeah. got to get the humour and the well, there's a lot of, ridiculousness there's a lot of it. And pretty insane close-ups of Ash's face and a lot of his expressions are cross between delirium and delusional, but they're, they're actually making yeah, you laugh. The fast camera shots where it's like, Actually, the camera, I think they did it on like long poles yes. and it's moving really fast and you've you've actually got the kind of the viewpoint of a demonic force yeah, it's busting like, through a door and then something's flying at someone's face. And it, I mean, the, the, it was so like dynamic, the type of shooting. It just made everything else just look so old hat. 
Yeah, I think R- Rami went all out. He had a good vision for what he wanted his films to look like. Yeah, and and especially is is the fact that it was on a small budget as well. I mean, it's absolutely incredible what what is the the feats that he managed to achieve. These zombies were the people themselves. They actually. When they got possessed. So they could turn back to the person that you once knew and, and would say, Ash, why are you doing this to me? Please help me. Mess with something. your head. Mess with your head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then quickly, so shapeshift, really. Yeah, shapeshift. So again, that kind of links back to this great conspiracy about, well, there's actually these shapeshifters, these forces that can possess people or somehow exist in a form in our reality, but shift back to their true form when people aren't looking i don't know <laughs> you know the, you know it was it was followed by a third film the army of darkness as a proper sequel to the second film opposed to the first film to the second one which aren't really direct sequels but he picks up the army of darkness just where he left off which is this mad time warp thing i mean he throws that right out of the book in terms of one minute you're watching the book him. of the dead oh, there you go out of straight of his typical plot in modern america like in a swamp in a cabin and all of a sudden like ash is now in the king arthur era yeah fighting at the army of the dead in like the 1400s or something oh, crazy don't quote me on that i can't remember crazy direction form, to take it in. yeah uh, rami just and it was yeah, a good brilliant. it still worked it actually was still a good film i think on like imdb it still got a good score so for, for zombie lovers i think even the third evil dead film was actually still a popular film yeah, so as well as Evil Dead, you had Brain Dead, which was another just absolute gore fest. I mean, it upped it upped the stakes even more. Where there's like this classic scene where zombies are just being literally mowed down by a lawnmower. He's using a lawnmower as a weapon. <laughs> you know the man is just <laughs> mowing hordes of zombies I down. I haven't seen Brain Dead. The Jackson film, isn't it? Peter Jackson, yeah, who obviously went on to do Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit, but Brain Dead is, I want to say, where it all started. I'm not sure if it was his first film, but it was definitely like an early Peter Jackson film, and I th- I'm sure it broke records as well for like the, you know, the most gunge, blood, yeah. fake blood use. Yeah, something. right, yeah. yeah. And um, it's a bloody weird film. I actually saw it when I was a kid, and it really disturbed me. Wow. <laughs> but it's this. Um, it's this like weird guy called Lionel who has this like overprotective mother, like Vera, and she's and he's kind of got like uh, Bates psycho sort of vibes, you know, mothers. Like, and um, he he like goes to a zoo on like a date, and the girl he's with gets like bitten by this uh, rat monkey, <laughs> basically, <laughs> that like infects. <laughs> Yeah, it infects her, it infects, like, his mother, who he tries to, like, save by keeping her locked in his basement. It's really twisted, but it's super gory. (laughs) And um, it kind of ends up with him mowing a lot of them down with a lawnmower, which is a sight to behold. But, yeah, quite quite interesting, because we're going to get on later to not only zombie movies, but now you have pandemic movies and and we've had you know contagion and quarantine and and zombie movies seem like they're playing on this theme a whole lot more and of course you had like outbreak yeah remember that movie in like the 90s where everyone got infected by a monkey in contagion it was a bat hmm i've heard that before oh. and um somewhere recently in sure. this it's a rat monkey so it's a kind of combo of 
<laughs> a couple. But yeah, weird how that that theme has like recurred again and again in movies. We we we're, we're so used to this theme, right? That when COVID broke, when the pandemic broke, and they said, "Oh, it's from a." From a bat at a wet market, everyone just went, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would happen. That's a rat funny. monkey, you say? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I saw a film in it. It must have. I've seen sure, Brain Dead. Sure, sure it could happen in real life, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brain Dead was 92, but there was a, a, another great kind of gross-out zombie movie in 1985, Reanimator. Oh, yeah. Classic. That is, that is the classic, isn't it? Where um, you've got a doctor, Hermit West, and he's trying to reanimate dead tissue to um, come up to life effectively. Yeah, start moving. Basically. Cells start moving again, basically. Mm. And the uh, the the great strapline for the movie said, "Hermit West has a very good head on his shoulders, and another one on a dish on his desk," <laughs> <laughs> which kind of sums up the tone in the movie. It's it's like a, a black comedy mixed with a horror film. But the comedy in it is actually great, really cool. I mean, there's a great line in it where he's talking to a zombie that's been decapitated, he's got his head in his hands, and he says, you'll never get credit for my discovery. Who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job and a sideshow. <laughs> but it was um, adapted from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's like pulp horror story, arguably the first... Um, ever story to consider scientifically affecting corpses and turning them into zombies. It was early, was it? It was like 1922 or something. Really, it was like an early novel. This is an old novel. Yeah, yeah, right. And so Reanimator is Stuart Gordon's take on this kind of cult classic. It kind of follows Hermit West, who's conducting these experiments, and he basically finds out he can reanimate corpses and then everything starts going wrong at the surgery and <laughs> people start dying. But he, he's like, I'm doing good work here. Like, he needs to carry it all along. There's loads of dead bodies around. And <laughs> since he's discovered how to reanimate and bring them back to life, he's on like a one-way mission to bring back everything that's dead. <laughs> Some things are best left dead. <laughs> <laughs> so similar to Day of the Dead, this movie's kind of playing on the more scientific end of things yeah and drawing the aspects of the uh the cell type how we get living to dead and dead back to living mm. see kind of what i like about the reanimator thing is it plays into now the humans sort of role of taking control of understanding what zombies or the un undead can do in terms of the their yeah by the, meddling by meddling with them in in some way bit back to the ritualistic side getting to have control of these creatures, to have control of them and use them for your own sort of dark willing. Kind of reanimator serves a little bit on that. You know, he wants to bring these things back to light, kind of serve as his own subject. So in a way, it's not too far off kind of where the Resident Evil series starts. Like, I mean, right back in 1996, there was a game series called Resident Evil. It's, yes, still going now. There's been loads of films. And it was all about a similar theory or an idea of there's a lab right out in the mansion on the outskirts of town and in this sort of lab which is underneath the mansion of course it would just be in the back like a conventional lab <laughs> and underneath here they're basically using a virus to conduct experiments to turn 
living tissue into sort of a zombified state, even turn certain creatures into possibly weapons. And sort of game, shall we say, was all about the mansion and you sort of finding your way around it and all the clues of why these experiments have been conducted and why there's suspicious reports of people going missing in the forest nearby. What you love about that is it all gives you enough to get an idea, okay, this is about zombies, but in this game we're still meddling with the idea of a virus that's infecting things. Yeah, and I guess the real villain in the game is it's not the zombies, it's Umbrella Corporation. Umbrella Corporation, which weirdly enough we actually happened to notice, was also like the makers of their reanimator film. Yeah, actually, Umbrella Entertainment, that also has a little Umbrella logo, yeah. is mm, the, weird, how the people that made reanimator, yeah. yeah, yeah. So strange how Umbrella Corporation, slight bang as our main yeah. antagonist for the Resident Evil And series. then Umbrella Corporation has, in Resident Evil, also has an Umbrella as their logo. And then weirdly, I found out recently that there's an actual biotech company in Shanghai, China, that has the same logo as the evil yes. biotech company this in is, Resident Evil. This is true. This is true. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. You can look it up, uh, Shanghai Biotech Company. If you type that in with Resident Evil or Umbrella Corp, I'm sure it will come, come straight up. But uh, apparently the official explanation was they did it as a bit of a in-joke a tongue-in-cheek, oh, they knew that that was the logo from Resident Evil and they did it as like a homage to it, but it's pretty weird because it's an evil corporation and they're a biotech company and we all know what has happened recently from China, from a bio lab. Yeah. yeah. So well, it, the fact that they would be like, let's, let's give ourselves the same logo as the evil biotech and pharmaceutical company in the Resident Evil series well, that makes, makes zombies. You look at how the the storyline follows of Resident Evil, you find that by in the second game that it's actually the virus that was spilt in this lab has actually been carried into the city by rats in the sewer system. Uh, and the, kind of like the Black Plague. Yeah. And they've gone out by in infecting the whole of the human population, turning them into just these lumbering zombies that we're probably more familiar with the George Pereira's sort of film series. And as the characters of the game, you just have to fight yourself endlessly through streets, rooms of just zombies. And like true to any good horror film, the Resident Evil game series has always got the jumps in it. I mean, it created its own genre, really, survival horror. It did. Mm-hmm. And the game's mechanics are like a very limited inventory and you've got to kind of make it from A to B constantly yeah. with limited health. So yeah. it really is like a survival game because you don't move very fast no. in the original games no, either. You so you, you want to get away. And you've got that lovely... Really, really quick, but you can't because you move about, well, just a little bit faster than the zombies, but you're not running. Yeah, it's the old, the old school running clip. Yeah, and you're like, come on, come on, reach that door, reach that door. And then when you get to the doors, of course, they... Get the loading screen. The loading screen was the door creaking open really slowly. It was shut behind as well. Yeah, and then you're like, oh, my God. You wait to see what the screen would offer you. You get into the next environment, but like, okay, staircase, not too bad. Problem is, what's at the bottom of the staircase? (laughs) But, yeah, that, that kind of set its own blueprint even to this day, they've still used some of these creaking door scenes, even though 
they, they've got the technology that they wouldn't need them loading screens anymore. No. But it's become so synonymous with the game, they kept them in just for nostalgic reasons. Yeah, yeah like you were saying, like, true to sort of any good sort of sports car maker, they keep the classic vibes in with the games as even they move through the years and all the sort of redevelopments of the title. And the Creek and Doors thing was a classic, you know, they kept that in for years. But, you know, what, what they did actually always explore through the different sort of storylines as the sequels went on three, four, five, six, I mean, there are quite a lot. It's still... Zero. Zero, yeah. There's still the fact that there's a backstory and actually the backstory is quite interesting to where Resident Evil started and it goes back to an Antarctic base. Mm -hmm. as where, oh yeah, I know, sounds very nasty to me. But it's all to do with this thing called the progenitor virus. See, there's a lot of mysteriousness about Antarctica. Obviously, the Nazis built a huge base there when World War II just kicked off, which is a very weird thing for them to do. British forces went there and they were there was reports of UFO sightings. It doesn't surprise me that they kind of thought by Antarctica because it's one of the most hidden places on our planet. You cannot go there. Yes, it sounds like... You, you, you have to get permission to go there. It sounds like a great place for build a biolab, really. It's a secret one, at least. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, more secret than in Wuhan, I mean, that's for sure. You know? I would like to do an episode about Antarctica one day because I feel like there's, it's like the most secret place on Earth, it feels like. Mm. I yeah. think there's some weird stuff that's, that's gone down and is going down in Antarctica. Mm. Maybe, maybe the T-virus. Maybe. That's what it's called, right? Well, no, well, no, it, well, no the, whole, the whole point is it, it's the progenitor virus. It's the first thing it was discovered, and it was, it was kind of a cell that would self-replicate he didn't see it first as anything else so it was self-replicate, you know, and then they realised it might be able to bring back leaving tissue. And then they basically created... So did it become the T-virus? Because well, that's what it's known as in the series, no? Yeah, it only became that. It's, it's weird because it's got this huge backstory about this progenitor virus when it first came from. They first had developed it and this research from Umbrella had been bought like any good corporation had been robbed, stolen and bought till they had it all, all the scientists and all the right people. And they were like, right, this is what Marcus Spencer was working on way back then. And they could give it to, of course, Birkin in the second Resident Evil. And he was the one that made, managed to make the best version of it, which was the G-virus, the upgrade from the T-virus. So are they, they're just seeing it as a bioweapon? A bioweapon, you know. But it's one of those ones that, Funny how that they were making weapons like the tyrant because they make the tyrant is a bioweapon. They use obviously part of that progenitor gene that's in the virus to create him, which follows you around like in the remake of the second one, which is absolutely horrible. Horrible. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we kind of we mean it the same way, don't we? I mean, you're saying brilliant. I'm saying horrible. What we both mean is it was great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the remake of the second one on the, the next-gen console was great. So it's always worked into now that this a corporation that has this control, this thing that could turn either something into a weapon or, unfortunately, if it gets caught by a rat, it's going to bite you and turn you into a living, undead creature. So, Well, they do have, in Resident Evil, you have, like, zombie dogs, and yeah. the dogs are such a pain in the ass. Oh, God, they're happy. To kill because they're so fast and they come charging right at you. It's always that one when, it, when you think you've hit it and it sits down on the floor and you're like, oh, he's done it. And then it gets like, oh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to get my aim back up with a bloody PlayStation 1 controller. Yeah. like... Mm -hmm. you know. Dogs in most games, actually, are, are horrible. I know. There's certain things in games that I dread. Like, dogs are one. 
underwater levels are another. But talking of, of games, you can't talk about zombie games now without talking about Last of Us. No. Last of Us 1 and 2, and they're both brilliant. Now, the Last of Us games are very different to Resident Evil because you're getting like, obviously they come out later time-wise, but you're, you're, you're getting much more kind of realism, emotion, depth of character, exploration. It's a naughty dog game and they're kind of, and they're kind of known, known for that. There's, there's much more of a, a deeper emotional kind of story going yeah. on. And it was similar to The Walking Dead, the TV series that went on and on and they on. They focus a lot on the characters. Where, yeah, they're like any series that has six seasons or whatever, probably more with that show, right? Probably more. <laughs> like <laughs> 10 or something, God knows. I think it's still going, right? It's still yeah. going. Yeah. And I remember... Walking Dead like broke records for it was like one of the most popular shows and the same with a lot of stuff that we're talking about like same with Resident Evil same with Last of Us like so many of these things are are, are record breaking yeah they're, they're so celebrated in our culture it's just crazy and it seems like as a genre it's like similar to the zombies it just won't die <laughs> it just won't die it won't go away they just won't go away. <laughs> But yeah, just just when you thought, oh, the Resident Evil games are getting a bit stale or something, you have like Last of Us come out and just blew everyone away. Again, similar to Evil Dead, you could argue, well, they're not really zombies. So in the game, they're just referred to as the infected. Yeah. And they've been infected by like a mutated fungus. And they they have all these kind of spores, don't they? That are, yeah, that sort of come spraying up. stuff out, and yeah, and the creatures that have all these like gross fungal infections all coming out of them have these kind of spores that are like firing that sort of that like, sort of poison or like it's sort of just I don't know what it is, but it's nasty. It's nasty. It does. I don't know what it is, but it's nasty. Yeah, when you see them, you don't want to. It's like poisonous, like dust. Dust. If you breathe it in, then you become infected. Yeah, you you don't want to go near them. A lot of times in in The Last of Us, you actually try to avoid a lot of contact early on, don't you, with them? Yeah, so it's it's a slightly, it works slightly differently from like other. You know, it breaks the zombie rules, but they're not technically there's, they're not technically zombies. They're infected with this this fungal virus, and and it kind of spreads in a different way. Although I do think they do still behave like zombies, and if they bite you, yeah, then you, you still turn turn. So, but they've also got the whole spores thing going on. Yeah. Nasty little buggers, really. <laughs> so it's similar to Romero's Land of the Dead in the sense that there's kind of been like a military takeover there's quarantine zones and there's like a group of renegades called the fireflies that are fighting the military you know martial laws taken over and they're again similar to land of the dead you know there's like big chain link fences and these outposts and stuff like that i mean you had to be really quiet didn't you a lot of the parts of the day you had to be really careful with a lot of parts of the game because if you disturb one that was it without spoil like i I don't mind dropping some spoilers about movies, but I'm not going to spoil a game because you're going to invest <laughs> quite a few more hours into playing these two games. Those two different. But um, let's just say it plays on similar themes of losing our humanity and humans being the, the kind of real evil or antagonists throughout the game. And um, yeah, it has a kind of walking dead sense of realism and, and real emotion that definitely sets it apart from most zombie movies let let alone games yeah yeah but the um 
yeah, the birth of the kind of like super aggressive rage-filled zombie was from 28 Days Later, which I think is a complete classic, like yeah. overlooked, one of the most important zombie Danny, movies ever made. Danny Boyle, 2002, which is quite, uh, we're moving quite a way into since the early show of a zombie in the 68 film of Night Living Dead. And now here we are, the birth of a different sort of zombie. The, uh, the Rage Zombie, as we are affectionately known as. Yeah, so the movie starts, do you remember, it starts in like this... Uh, a lab. Mm. A lab, <laughs> again. <laughs> uh, when will they learn? It's always starting in a lab. God damn. I mean, no wonder people believe the, the lab narrative with the COVID pandemic, because it's just like, it always starts in a bloody lab. <laughs> You can see why people are buying into that. I bet it did come from that lab. Yeah, it always starts with a bloody lab. Always some animal they're testing, I'm sure. Yeah, right. So it starts in this lab, this facility. They're testing on monkeys. There's a monkey there that's like going through this kind of clockwork orange style like torture where it's being shown all these, like, all the bad things in the world. <laughs> no, it's um, being shown all these kind of like news broadcasts of yeah, like fighting and missiles. Yeah. All the rest of it. All the bad things in the world. I actually thought that bin, beginning bit was quite disturbing, actually, with the fact the monkeys just sit in it under some sort of brain, yeah. some sort of emotional torture, being shown all that stuff. Like, so then some kind of eco-warriors, you know, some Extinction Rebellion-type people. No, more like, what's the group against, like, animal cruelty and stuff? Peter. Like, Peter, kind of, like, mm. yeah. Yeah, so some group of, like, eco-terrorists uh, storm the building... And they want to let all the chimps out, but the scientist's like, oh, no, don't, you know, they're infected or whatever. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them because he doesn't want to tell them. They're infected. He's like, infected with what? Yeah. Like, he just doesn't want to tell the them. Rage virus. <laughs> but yeah, they let the chimps out. They wreak havoc. They're zombie chimps. Basically. Basically. Yeah, it's pretty savage because they actually are quite scary. Because the fact that they're moving so fast, like they're going crazy, aren't they? Yeah. And, and rage-filled chimps. Rage-filled chimps. Going nuts. But and then you kind of... Then the next scene is like Jim, the main protagonist, waking up in a deserted hospital. Yeah. Murphy, a young Cillian Murphy. The actor. Yeah. yeah. A cock shot for you there. I see your pecker scene in that film. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah you, do, you do get a One little shot of his, uh, his nether regions. Yeah. 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 And... Um, he, he wakes up, doesn't know what the hell's going on. I mean, the chimp part of it, you kind of understand, oh, okay, is that, that's how this all began, is it? That's the kind of origins of, of whatever this thing is, this virus. But the next scene is, is him waking up in the hospital. Then he's out on the deserted streets of London. And I remember that being like the first time I'd ever seen in a movie, like, whoa. That's amazing. Because you could tell it wasn't CGI. They, no, they somehow the cornered... They did it on, I think they did it on a Sunday. Somehow they did it, they did it on the early hours of a Sunday morning before Monday. I think that's how they got it. And he had to ask for a lot of permission. Like, one of the bell don't ring, a Big Ben or something. Right, so, okay, yeah. Be- so it was in the news because it was quite a big deal. Like, oh, wow, they've brought the whole, not the whole of London to a standstill, but they've 
Like, I, think, I think it done over several weekends as well. You couldn't, you couldn't do it all in one one night. It's not. Like, yeah, but the footage is incredible because London looks. I mean, it no, looks completely empty, like a ghost it, town. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, and eerily similar as well to during the first lockdown. I actually went into central London, and it was literally like twenty eight days later. You no, know, you just walk around, going hello. Yeah, and there was hello. no one around. I was I was walking through like Oxford Street and Piccadilly Circus, and I was the only person there. And it felt like being in 28 Imagine if you'd gone over to a poster board and started seeing missing, 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 missing. Absolutely. <laughs> Your face would have dropped. I mean, it's obviously a British film, but it's so weird because there's so many parallels between 28 Days Later and the pandemic. Firstly, that in England, if you test positive for COVID within 28 days, if you 28 days later, yeah. if you die from any other cause, you get marked down as a COVID death. Then you have the whole deserted streets thing, which is really weird. Then it's like, oh, it, you know, this thing is a virus that has uh, completely destroyed and taken over society as we know it. And it came from a lab. <laughs> and then you had the posters, the poster campaign in England for covid that, that, I mean, that sounds so weird that, uh, that a deadly virus would need its own PR campaign. Oh, but there you go. Uh, a market, they spent hundreds of millions on it. Yeah, marketing budget for them. <laughs> 300 million, was it? This virus has got a really big PR budget. You must really want people to believe it's real. Yeah, I mean, I, can't, I don't think there was a, uh advertising campaign for the Spanish flu. <laughs> What, what what agency did they get to do that? Sarchi and Sarchi, was it? I mean, yeah, very strange, but... The posters look like 28 days later or 28 weeks later. Yeah, they did. The yeah. sequel where the, it was all red and they got the mask and on. And the eyes were always like yeah. weird colours. Look well. it up and compare them. It's it's weird how similar they are. And and they made these mm. COVID posters where they're saying, act like you've got it and look her in the eyes and tell her that COVID's not real or whatever the hell it was. And they've and and at a glance you would have thought it was an it was a poster campaign for a new zombie movie. Yeah, absolutely. Or a, like horror. The colours that we used as well, like black, red, yellow. Yeah, like and there's like these mask figures, and in some of them they look like they have dead eyes, zombified mm. eyes. I mean, there's also posters. The ones I'm talking about there are of these people with face masks looking at the camera like like a horde of zombies. But there's other ones with people dying or supposedly dying on a bloody ventilator where they literally look like the undead. I mean, it's like there's a creative director there going, no, make them paler, 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 and a tinge of green. Can you make the eyes yellow? I was going to say, a lot of the backgrounds were darkened as well. The posters, they were like shadows. They'd be like lots of shadowy figures of one person out in a crowd wearing a mask. I know. They were like haunting. Yeah. It made me actually want to go see a film about the COVID. I thought they were bloody good. <laughs> they were bloody good. It's not that good. I thought, this is a fucking sick film. Hey, oh, there's a new... Oh, 28 years later is out now. Oh, oh no, it's a COVID poster. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's just a mirror. <laughs> he obviously wakes up 28 days later after this has happened. That's, yeah. that's why, it's, why it's called that. He wanders out of the hospital, doesn't he? And one of the first... I think the first place he goes to after looking around the deserted streets is to, like, a church. Yeah, a church. He goes to the church and there's the father there, like the vicar zombie, coming towards him. Do you remember? Oh, oh I like that scene. And he says it, he says, like, father. He's actually father. Yeah, and that's his kind of first introduction to the infected. And he kind of gets saved by uh, two people that are obviously a group of survivors that take him in. They bring him up to speed mm. on everything that's going on. 
Jim wants to go and see his family and they kind of almost humor him like okay we go back but trust me no one's no one survived they're not going to be there but he goes to see his family and actually his mum and dad are, are, are dead on on their bed and they've left a note for him saying oh Jim we because yeah, he was in a coma wasn't he was in a coma and they leave a note like Jim we left you sleeping now we've joined you never wake up yeah. it's a really like yeah because that's always heartfelt a- kind of that's kind of the darkest thing. Like this note, whole you know, thing happens while whilst he was in a coma, coma and he yeah. wakes up. And, and, and yeah, no they idea. put "Don't wake up." They, they have no idea what's happened. The whole world's just told London. It's just yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it, did, it it definitely gives you what I love about the film is a real sense of uh, aloneness, a alone sort of aloneness and sense of struggle, and a bit like any good horror game, survival. Yeah, like, there's a lot of feeling on. You've got to keep moving. The film has a lot of scenes where you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they just sort of just about get away. So after after Jim meets them guys, he gets to meet another two characters, Frank and Hannah, guy and his young daughter, who are staying in like a tower block, and they're like getting really desperate because they kind of set out all these buckets and stuff on the roof to try and collect rainwater that but it hasn't good, rained good idea. for days. Yeah, well, that's what I really like about it. It really delves into, like, the survival aspect of it. Like, what would you do if, not just there was a zombie apocalypse, but what would you do if mm-hmm. the shit hit the fan and society collapsed and you did have to start suddenly collecting rainwater and figuring out how you're going to feed yourself and how you're going to protect yourself. Yeah, it was like how we can use electricity to make, you know, make electricity to cook things or survive to keep warm, you know, yeah, you go into the most basic instinct. Yeah, so um, Frank's heard a a radio broadcast saying, oh, there might be a unaffected outpost they can go to. I think it's in Manchester. So they all decide to go on this road trip. They get to Manchester. Nothing's there. Won't spoil it too much. They carry on. They end up in a military base at the end and again, with a lot of these other movies... The power struggle. It, mm. The real antagonist, you realise, is actually the sergeant and his soldiers there that have kind of put out this broadcast to sort of lure, lure them in. And, but they, and but they, they, they're the ones with the guns. They're the ones that are always going to marshal them. Yeah, right. Soldiers, and they, they kind of have their own ideas. And, and similar to The Last of Us that we just spoke about, like they have a zombie chained up. Yeah. I always thought The Last of Us stole that from 28 Days Later, really. I feel like they've all stolen that from Day of the Dead from just learning about... Yeah, right. ...about the the subjects in that film. Because what's great in Last of Us, you can can kind of shoot one of the chained-up zombies, you can shoot the chains off, and then that zombie will go off in turn to devour some of the enemies and save you the hassle. It's quite, quite a stealthy way of kind of killing people. And that's basically what happens in 28 Days Later. And, yeah, again, you kind of realise that actually when we lose our humanity, we're no better than the zombies or maybe even worse. There's a great scene earlier in the movie where they're in like a block tunnel. I don't know if you remember this. The car breaks down and the zombie horde is just running towards them. They're so loud as well. Yeah, there was so... footsteps of the running. Because they're so fast moving as well, it just added a whole new level of scare to it because there was just like this angry, like, pack of wild animals just running towards them and like jumping on cars and sort going at super speed and they're, and they're like rage filled and I just remember thinking like how can we ever go back to the lumbering zombies after this <laughs> you know what I mean similar to like 
Romero, it kind of felt like a new die had been cast. And these were a new die. And they felt and they felt scarier because the whole point with these zombies is you couldn't really outrun them. Yeah, they're more like again moving with the times. You know, like what 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 you're talking about the the angry uh, Black Friday shoppers. <laughs> I mean, this the the, the rage filled zombies almost. Like they remind me of that, but they also remind me of like, you know, these horror stories you see on like American news, like someone high on bath salts bit someone's face off in zombie-like attack. Like, you, you know, there's, there's some drugs on the market now, like crystal meth or whatever, that might turn people so crazy that they end up actually eating human flesh or attacking someone and biting their face off like they're a zombie. In a, in a complete rage, or have you heard these stories where like there was five cops and they couldn't get him down? Yeah. They've shot the guy ten times and he's still coming up. Chopped both his arms off and he's still literally. Going, yeah. It's like they have superhuman strength. It's like they're zombies. I mean, we're not far off here. We're nearly there. So there's a great bit where Jim is is locked up with a with another kind of moral dissenter who kind of gives him a little bit more info on what has been happening. I don't know if you remember this bit, yeah. but he says that he believes that this virus has only affected Great Britain. And as a result of that, the rest of the world has quarantined us as we're just an island and the virus is just contained here, but the rest of the world is just carrying on as normal. <laughs> so there's still like Justin Bieber concerts and like everything else going on. And like over here, it's just like absolute horde chaos. <laughs> but that's quite a, interesting idea i mean bearing in mind this is pre-brexit when i watched it again i thought mm, like brexit then we'll leave this island we'll leave you to it like the, the rest of europe sort of turned their back on us yeah. we've been made like definitely made an example of like no one else think of leaving the european union you saw what happened to great britain <laughs> do you want that to be you do you want to be the laughing stock next <laughs> but i think overall what really sets this movie apart is the depth of character and storytelling. It's really a movie about the light and dark side of humans. And as with a lot of horrors, I feel like the true monster is really Sergeant West and his soldiers who've lost their humanity even more than the zombies. And really, the soldiers ended up being the um, monsters that they were trying to escape from. Yeah, another great British zombie movie from around the same era was Shaun of the Dead yeah. as well. Comedy, Comedy zombie yeah. movie, but... Absolutely brilliant. Even uh, Romero was a huge fan. Like we said earlier, put them in the cameo for um, yeah. Land of the Dead. He was so impressed with Shaun of the Dead. And it is a bit of a homage to zombie movies in general. Well, they use it's a, a great the, movie in its own right. I mean, they sort of use a lot of the traditional concepts about the zombies being slow and sort of being quite sort of stupid. The, yeah, they well. like took it back to the traditional Romero zombie this like suit and, and there's a great quote from Simon Pegg because he was asked oh why didn't you go for like fast zombies and he said because uh, death is not an energy drink <laughs> pretty good answer to that one which, which is true like I get with hyped up genetically raged up zombies but really I think if a zombie comes up with ground it's most likely to be decayed yeah it was more of a send up of like traditional zombies like old school classic zombie movies but it's got this brilliant scene, isn't it, at the start where Simon Pegg's character, Sean, obviously, walks out into the street and goes to the corner shop. Oh, like his monotonous life, the way he does everything the same, he trips on the same bit of pavement. Yeah, right. 
And yeah, he's obviously like half asleep and he doesn't even realise that everyone's a zombie. Yeah. He doesn't even notice and goes to the shop, pays the guy, come, comes back and he's on standby mode to the point where he doesn't even notice there's, there's a zombie apocalypse going on. I, like, I love it. He's like oblivious to it. You know, there's that scene where him and Nick Frost character are leaving the pub and there's, there's the same couple outside against the wall kissing before they went into the Winchester Arms. And when they come out, they obviously had a few drinks, they're a bit lively, and they're like seeing him, they turn around, and he's like, you two, get a room! <laughs> and as they turn back on Kyle walking, the woman zombie bites the male zombie's head off, and you see in the background, just falls off his head. <laughs> yeah, well, there's another great, great bit where there's like a zombie up against the glass of the pub, like, oh, and he's like... Piss head. <laughs> like he thinks he's just a ravenous drunk. You know what I mean? Like beer. <laughs> That's crazy. They really take this this joke to the ex- extreme. They keep on making it again and again, comparing this to zombies and our behaviours to zombies, and the and the not even noticing bit that plays out during the start of the film is just so funny. The funny thing is they also include the sort of the pop culture rules about the head because remember they're out in the garden and they know the heads sort of date yeah, right. like the weak points so they've got, head. They, got the, they got the like the box of his records and they're throwing the records out trying to hit their heads with records yeah there's another like it, it's so self-aware isn't it it's like the rules and then there's another bit where they're talking about the z word and he's like is there any zombies out there and he's like don't say that what the z word <laughs> or is there any yeah, there is a whole gang of them, you know. But it's so it's so brilliant, like he doesn't even want to say the Z word. And like I feel like that with a lot of zombie movies, they call them the infected or as they prefer to be known as the reanimated. <laughs> but they go out of their way, you know what I mean, to call them whatever, as long as it's not zombie. It, it, the Z word it has almost become like a dirty word or something. It's like, oh, well let's not call them zombies, let's call them like the infected or it's the whole of the film centered about that always get into the pub. They, it's the safest place of the refuge. It's like the, you know, yeah, right. And their their whole their whole game plan in the movies, look, let's just get enough of us together, quickly go to the Winchester, <laughs> grab a pint and wait for it to <laughs> blow up. <laughs> that's not the extent of their plan. Right? Yeah, but it's kind of a good plan. Like, that's the whole point, isn't it? It's like both of them, especially Sean, Simon Pegg's character, is a loser. He's... His kind of love life is in disarray. Yeah. He's lazy layabout that plays computer it's, games. It's, and stuff. It's, it's, but then, yeah. actually, against all odds, the fact that he leads them like on his he, sort of- he leads them to the pub, which is a great refuge, and then using their kind of computer game skills, they're kind of top right or whatever, which is exactly what he says in the scene earlier where they're playing the computer game. You know, and in fact, the dialogues work word for word. So, yeah, he's kind of putting all these skills to use because he's watched so many zombie so movies, movies and yeah. all the rest of it. He's, he's actually the perfect guy to kind of save the day. So it's a real, like, you know, zero to hero kind of story yeah. and a great a great homage. But I love, from a social commentary point of view, I love the um, the observation of, like, you know, many of us live these zombified lives where you'd hardly even notice if... We were zombies because we were stuck in the same behavioural patterns, doing the same thing, glued to the TV or yeah, zombified yeah. at home, playing the game down the pub. Yeah, it's it, it, it's kind of like a modern day take on the early Romero stuff. The, the second of the shopping mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is, it is yeah. sort of the same. 
Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. I keep why the title was so bloody similar. Yeah, I know. He should have just mixed it up. Isn't it? Come like, on, Dawn Day. I call it Mall of the Dead. I mean, it was set in a bloody mall. So then you kind of had another step up with World War Z that come out in 2013. Mm. And this, I feel like, was the real like the the this I feel like was the first real zombie disaster movie. It was apocalyptic in scale. It was you know like there there was a huge surge of like disaster movies yeah there was during like 2012 the day after tomorrow you know deep impact yeah huge tidal waves the whole world ending in front of your eyes i guess as cgi got to the point where they could actually do this stuff and it looked half decent yeah it's like, right, okay. People, people are hungry for this. <laughs> hungry for destruction and chaos. We'll give it to them. Yeah, this is like a, a zombie disaster movie. It, like. it was actually, I was saying the other day, like, I thought it was a hugely underrated film, actually. I think it's great. Again, with 28, like, the reason that we picked, obviously there's loads more zombie movies than we picked, but the ones that we have picked out, I feel like are the best of the bunch. Actually, and this, the this is up there. Yeah, this is right up there. What was it? It's really good. And, and Brad Pitt doesn't, you yeah, normally but, play like an action well, role. You like people look at Brad Pitt and they're like, oh, where's Brad Pitt? Really? Because this was like a disaster movie or an action movie as much as a zombie movie. I wouldn't have necessarily chosen Brad Pitt, but I thought actually he played played the kind of role that a Monday Tom Cruise or Bruce Willis or whatever usually plays quite well. Mm. He actually played that kind of action-y role well and he brought a bit more acting credibility to it but he didn't overdo it like he sat in the role yeah, yeah but I can't think of another movie with Brad Pitt in it that's like a straight action role as this you know what no, I mean no, no. it's more fighting than acting isn't yeah. it yeah that's for sure that's for sure <laughs> like, that's why you're kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger's and your Jean-Claude Van Damme's and stuff could be successful really because it's like there's not that much acting yeah <laughs> mainly fighting and you I saw a guy with your physique that does a lot of fighting it's it's based on the novel by Max Brooks of the same name, featuring what's the virus? The Solomon virus. Yeah, and this was also featured in one of Brooks' earlier books called The Zombie Survival Guide. Oh which yeah, is like a like survival manual on how to deal that, with that's, that's potential yeah, yeah. zombie attack. Outbreak, yeah. yeah, similar to Day of the Dead, the virus attacks the cells in the brain. But these zombies are like the 28 days, like, rage-filled zombies. Yeah. And they're super fast, maybe even, like, more vicious and more fast. I mean, in this movie, they almost move like a swarm. Yeah. They, you or know, like a tidal wave. That's, or it's, that's it, the thing they show about it that scares you the most in the film, is that there's so many. It, almost like a, like it's a tidal wave, like, coming towards you, like... Yeah. Not, what about what, two or three getting tearing me apart? They, they look like they just march over you and crush you. Exactly. Like almost like the way they move is like they're one entity is literally like a like a swarm yeah. of them. And there's obviously the the classic scenes where they're like piling over the wall. Oh, the bridge wall. Yeah. 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 And 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 they're kind of. They make the, their own little, like, um, sort of platform, don't they? They climb up each other and they create an own, like, oh, zombie, just zombies. zombie ladder. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, it reminded me a little bit of Game of Thrones, reminded me of that at the end when they're attacking Winterfell and all the undead. There you yeah, go. See right. that undead everywhere. You know what I mean? Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, of course. But, Again, couldn't have been a bigger show. 
I know, pretty shame and marginal yeah. tales of the dead coming yeah. back to life. Whether it's Night King or whatever, it's still undead. It's still an army of the dead, and that's our point here. Zombies, <laughs> zombies. Or do I mean them animated? <laughs> but the point is, yeah, there was that scene that okay, well, Game Fest, we got it from there. Was when they just all they all form each other into like a zombie wall so they can get over the breach walls. So it's like they use each other, it's like <laughs> piling over. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a scary scene. Again, as we as we've done throughout this comparing that to real life societal fears going on at the time to me straight away i think of fear of immigration trump's war it was almost like you know this kind of rhetoric of they're coming over here and they're hordes it's like like kind of you know the the trump rhetoric of the era where he was kind of saying they're flooding in we've got to build a wall it's got to be bigger than ever so as well as being like rage infested it seems like they turn even quicker it's like 12 seconds or something before they change. And they're kind of unstoppable. <laughs> yeah. These things. You can't, it's, it's like, it's, it's no point taking one or two or even 10 of them out. No, you're, you're never going to beat them. No, it's more, it's more than a horde now. This is, this is a tidal wave of zombies. We kind of like, like any good disaster film or whether you're escaping the, the solar rays of the sun or the, the polar axis shifting. Exactly. You have yeah. to escape. You have to figure yeah. out a way of escape. And how many disaster movies feature like waves, like tidal waves, or it's like everyone, isn't Enjoy it? it. <laughs> they've got to have a scene with a big tidal wave wiping everything out. And this is, they've just replaced that with zombies. But um, a key point is that they don't go after unhealthy people. Yeah, I remember. So that. there's like a key. The scene, scene yeah, where yeah. that's figured out in the movie. I like that. I really like that as well because it kind of made sense. Like, yeah, they wouldn't go after someone who had cancer or leukemia or something like that. Like, they want they they only want healthy people. They don't even go for injured people or people that are dying. They want healthy flesh. So I thought that was quite interesting, and that's like a key point in this movie. So it still follows a lot of the similar things like we've brought from previous films about the zombies like dormant, don't they? They're not disturbed. They're unsure in World War Z how long they take to die. They sort of, they carry on in this sort of crazed state. What energy do they need to keep them going? You know, it's kind of a, a blend of a lot of the normal sort of things we're, we're familiar with. And with the discovery that we just mentioned, the WHO creates a vaccine that sort of tricks the zombies into thinking that a person has a serious illness when they don't. Yeah. So they leave them alone, kind of thing. Yeah, which is okay. Which is not be funny. Not quite a cool idea. For, yeah, to to get in, to, to leave you alone. Yeah, and yeah, kind of mad that the WHO are involved, and also as well, you kind of learn that it started in China, like in the Zombie Survival Guide as well, which was published a few years earlier, and it, when it talks about the Solana virus, they mentioned that it was brought into existence after the Second World War in China, and then it's been, you know, released all that. <laughs> so again, no, 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 we're getting no, no, that up. Why is it always China? <sighs> China, labs, labs, China. Same old story. So in the book World War Z, so they find out that Patient Zero was in China, but rather than exposing that, they create a fictional crisis with Taiwan to mask what they're actually doing. And World War Z was actually inspired by and based on the original story of the SARS virus in 2002. I didn't know that. Because when the virus broke out, I think it ended up killing like 8,000 worldwide or infecting 8,000 and killing around 700. 
But during this time, like Chinese officials were accused of being less than honest with the people and the whole thing apparently hindered the efforts of the WHO that were trying to contain it. Yeah. So because of this conspiracy story, that actually influenced the writing of World War Z. Ah. And then the books obviously got made into the film afterwards. That's possible. Yeah. But when you hear about the corruption of the original SARS virus, bearing in mind COVID is from SARS-CoV-2 and the whole thing, again, started in China and all the rest of it. I mean, not got a good track record, not got a, a trustworthy history there. Or, uh, yeah, at least that's what they want to show you. That's what the movies are trying to tell you. Yeah, so World War Z kind of has a happy ending, but the actual ending of the book was a lot different. Brad Pitt turns, Brad Pitt's character uh, loses contact with his wife and kids. He's not like reunited. There's no happy ending. And yeah, he basically just turns into a, a cold hearted zombie killer leading a battalion on the front lines in Russia against the zombie army. So the book's going to like way more detail and actually talk about obviously World War Z. They talk about the kind of geo political struggles and the different battles and stuff like that. So apparently the books are really good. Yeah, which kind of leads us nicely into the zombie apocalypse actually being listed on the CDC website. Yep. I, I mean, you probably that. heard the CDC mentioned a lot of times during the pandemic. Yeah, you should be familiar with these three letters now. Yeah, uh, the Centre for Disease Control. Or Disease right? Control, yeah. And obviously on the website they have what to do in this kind of pandemic, what to do in this kind of crisis or whatever else. But one of the things that they have listed on there is what to do in a zombie apocalypse. Again, similar to the umbrella logo that was used in for a Shanghai biotech company, <laughs> they've said, oh, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. thing. But yeah. it doesn't stop the fact that it, yeah. it's real. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's actually on the CDC website. Where, where does tongue-in-cheek stop or the fact that they actually put a survival menu yeah. up for zombie apocalypse on there? It's, it's pretty weird, actually. Yeah, so I'll just read you a bit off the site. So there's a section that's like zombie preparedness. It says there are all kinds of emergencies out there that we can prepare for. Take a zombie apocalypse, for example. <laughs> this is the kind of tone of voice it's in as well. And, it, and then another section is zombie preparedness for educators. Looking to teach preparedness in the classroom? We've got full lesson plans and activities for you to adapt with your students. <laughs> now, obviously, they're... Obviously, they're using it as a way to, oh, you know, ignite young people's imaginations, yeah, get them prepared for a zombie apocalypse, and they might be, in turn, more prepared for an actual crisis. But it doesn't stop it from being absolutely bizarre, does it? Funny thing in that picture, they actually have a picture on the website, and, like, the things that you're going to include in this kit. They've got, like, rope in there, a radio. Like, some things I thought were quite useful. There's a deck of cards on there. A deck of cards. A deck of cards in the picture. And I was Gotta like, keep yourself occupied. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not playing fucking blackjack or fucking poker with a zombie apocalypse on. I'm, do you know what I mean? My senses are, are lightened to every running, <laughs> running undead around me, not just sitting back and playing a game of chat. Well, you, you know? might have more downtime than you might really realise, you know, if you're hiding out. Mm, okay. <laughs> All right. You know what? We, we'll keep the deck of cards in this. <laughs> but yeah, there definitely wasn't like a baseball bat with spikes in it or... or a, a gun chainsaw lawnmower garden shears you know I've always liked the machete that's always quite a useful one yeah as well as the CDC there's there's also been like a Harvard psychiatrist a guy called Stephen Schlossman he wrote a fictional medical paper on the zombies in Night of the Living Dead 
if Night of the Living Dead was real, how would the medical approach be on what was wrong with the subjects? I think it was something like that, yeah. It it is weird how it bleeds itself into our reality. Like, you've got fictional papers being written, featuring on the CDC website. There's a zombie walk where everyone, like, dresses up as zombies and, like, goes out in, like, hordes. I'm I'm guessing that's in America. I mean, that definitely falls under the category of only in America. (laughs) Like, wouldn't surprise me if that was a, a stateside thing. But there might be zombie walks going on all over the world. Yeah, and that actually, the guy who wrote that, that Schlossman guy, even bear in mind Schlossman, the Schloss on the man. He actually, bear in mind, he'd done his paper about a fictional film. He actually came up with a condition, which he called it for the zombies, and he called a toxic neurodegenerative satiety deficiency syndrome <laughs> caused by an infection. Uh, really, really rolls off the tongue there, doesn't it, Schlossman? <laughs> and it's caused by an infectious agent. But apparently, that's what the zombies were suffering from. I mean... Just call it rage. Rage. <laughs> Not easier. Four letters. But yeah, it's, it, it's kind of weird. Like, it's got to the point now where if there was a zombie apocalypse, you feel like rather than being shocked, you'd just be like, right, balled up the windows. Yeah. And you, you'd like know, know what to do. Get, get, get your bug out bag. Yeah, get the, the shells, the chainsaw, <laughs> anything sharp, nails, the lot. Remember, aim for the heads. Yeah, yeah. Kill the brain. Yeah, it's it's almost become such a part of popular culture now that if it did happen, you wouldn't be that surprised. No, I'd, I'd be pretty much prepared. I only feel sorry for the people that hadn't watched the zombie film that weren't prepared. Don't try freezing them, people. It's the other way around. Fire. Kill them with fire. <laughs> yes, we did actually watch a great zombie movie last night, a relatively new one, called The Dead Won't Die. Yeah, The Dead Don't... The Dead Won't Die? Or the Dead Don't Die? The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, which was really cool. It was almost like Napoleon Dynamite meets Night of the Living Dead. I mean, they're definitely traditional zombies. They're rising out of graves in the graveyard. It's a small town. The hordes are kind of coming to. But it's got this brilliant deadpan comedy going on. It kind of reminded me of Napoleon Dynamite because there's just like these long, drawn-out silences and this really awkward dialogue. And you've got like Bill Murray's character who is just this kind of beat-up cop that's just kind of ready to just turn it all in. He's like the police chief who's just like an old dog waiting to be put down (laughs) in his job, isn't he? Yeah, so when it happens, he's just kind of like, first of all, he's in denial, but then he's just like, oh, God. Now there's something else to do with. And then, like, the other cop is like... Adam Driver's character. Yeah, yeah. he's definitely on the spectrum. And he's just being really, (laughs) like, nonchalant about the whole thing. And and, uh, Chloe Savengi's character is kind of like, why are you two not (laughs) reacting to this? Like, why are you... With the dead are walking around outside, outside their police station, and they're they're both just sitting there drinking (laughs) coffee, and they're just looking at them like... Pretty messed up, huh? <laughs> yeah. And um, when uh, Adam Driver's character's like killing people, he's just doing it in such a like emotionless kind of state. He's almost like a zombie, but he's just so like, well, you know, this is how things are now, and this is what we he, have to do. He's bringing it up, said, you know, the thing is, they're reanimated. They're not real. They're dead. I mean, they were dead, but they're not dead anymore. But they're not reanimated. You got to kill the brain. <laughs> Kill the head. Kill the head. They're, they're, they're so matter-of-fact about it all and, and really just, like, unfazed by the whole thing. It just it just makes it really, really funny. Even that line when he goes, like, Bill Murray's like, what do you think is going on? He's like, what do I think is going on? And he just says it so boldly. Like, <laughs> it, like it, that was like a normal day. It's like, zombies. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? 
Yeah, like he comes to that conclusion really quickly and he's just completely unbothered by it. It's got some great cameos in it as well. Iggy Pop is possibly the best on-screen zombie I can think yeah, of. Yeah, no one looks like a zombie or does a zombie like the way he moves. Oh, my God. Because his body, at this point in, in his lifespan, is quite contorted anyway. And so he, he made such a good zombie. And him and his, like, trashy kind of partner, like, they look like real, like, rednecks, don't they? Yeah, they yeah. go into the trailer and they're like, coffee. And they're kind of, like, throwing the coffee jokes down and guzzling his coffee. Right. And it's such a gross scene. But, but just like other zombie films, they, they're drawn, it follows the similarities, drawn to their past desires, you know. Exactly. They were like yeah. coffee heads, diner heads, so they went into there to kill people, eat flesh, but then, hello, there's coffee on the side. Yeah, just like in all the other movies, they have they, they, they kind of regress to their old habits and their own, their, their, their old kind of patterns and maybe the things that were giving them like dopamine hits, <laughs> the things that they were kind of slaves to. We spoke about zombies being slaves earlier. You know, they're, they're a slave to their morning routine with the coffee. They're a slave to, you know, there might be a zombie at a, a strip club or something. Well, they had like, the zombies at the end, at the end, going to get their iPhone at the store. They're like, Siri, Siri. Exactly. Or, or some of them are like, Wi-Fi. <laughs> and they're kind of like addicted to that, you know, like, where can I go to get good Wi-Fi? <laughs> And like when you're watching it, you realise like, yeah. like how kind of like oh, that's pretty good. actually how petty and meaningless these things that we do put such importance on in our life. Yeah. Like I've got to have a coffee, and like why isn't this place got good Wi-Fi or something? Yeah, there's a cameo from RZA, yeah, RZA from from Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, and uh, I think when it says like UPS, because he's like a package delivery, it's like UPS. UPS, yeah, pretty cool. But um. Tom Waits is the is the narrator and he's the kind of like hobo that lives in the forest yeah, yeah, that's yeah, kind of watching on and he's he's unaffected. Yeah, he kind <laughs> of he's, he's like spends the film watching this whole chaos erupt the local town and even though he's a hermit on the outskirts, he kind of narrates it as it goes along yeah. as well. And it's brilliant because especially when it's like over the music and stuff, it just sounds like Tom Waits because a lot of his stuff is just spoken word. He's got such a great gravelly storytelling voice that you almost feel like you're just listening to his music mm. and there's this like brilliant end, end scene where they're going out in a blaze of glory shooting up all the zombies in the graveyard and he's just talking over the top of it and he's kind of saying like ashes to ashes dust to dust and and then going on to say like uh people wanted fast cars and nintendo game boys and they were just hungry for stuff <laughs> just hungry and it kind of, again, yeah. makes you think of them early Romero films yeah, where he go. was commenting on the mindless consumerism of people. Yeah, because the way he uses, the way he is the same, like watching people dash to the Ikea queues. Yeah. You just watch them like animals, like, look at them go. Yeah, and then as... Uh, and They're basing and things. Then as the hordes are moving in, he's at the end of the world. And, you know, it, it's it's really heavy, actually. Like, the end of it is... Is great and yeah, I kind of feel like that's that's where where we're up to the end of the world. I mean, there's even a movie called Zombie Apocalypse now. There is, yes, yeah, I see that. Where where do you go from there? 
Zombies in space. <laughs> yeah, that, that was our next conclusion. Zombies in space. Shoot them up in rockets. They'll be, br- yeah. be with Branson and Elon Musk soon. They'll be there probably. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, Richard Branson going up for his next little trip and <laughs> just bung a zombie in there with him. Or even worse, I'd rather watch that. Or even worse, he goes out there, finds one, gets bit and brings it down with him. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. All happy stories have to end someday. Yeah, oh, I feel like a little boy. I've dreamt of this since I was a child. <laughs> What's that? Guess Brains. Oh, ah! no, no. How's it going on, there, Richard? Ah! <laughs> but yeah, just to, just to kind of wrap it up, so what do zombies say about us? You know, why won't this genre ever die? Might be dead themselves. <laughs> yeah, just, just like zombies, they, this genre doesn't, it persists. It doesn't seem to go away. Even when you compare it to, say, like, vampire movies or whatever. Like, I know you've had, like, in recent years, like, Twilight and stuff like that, but it's not It's not as consistent. No, like, this is no. so consistent. And when it's not a movie, now it's like a computer game or a series, yeah, like Walking Dead or, like like you said, even Game of Thrones had zombie-like characters. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like you said, it's all about the kind of the human condition. Isn't it? Like really, like how we, I think what we see in ourselves and them as well is not just about Yeah, that. the zombie-like behaviour that we recognise in ourselves, we see in zombies. And it does say a lot about the human condition. And these kind of lower frequency reptilian brain responses that we have in times of crisis, like at the moment, I mean, people have been acting like zombies. Mm-hmm. People just mindlessly doing what they're told, following the rules without question, or people in states of fear that are acting completely illogically, critical thinking's out the window and it's replaced with just fear-based thinking, emotional-based thinking, zombie-like thinking. And zombies can remain unchanged, like constant, almost comforting, because they're so familiar. Yeah. It's just the backdrop. (laughs) Yeah, it's just the backdrop that they're set against that, that changes with the times and reflects the societal fears of our times. Yeah, that's very true. And that can be told through the story of the undead. And they're almost just placed over the top of it like a, like an acetate. Yeah. But I think <laughs> as well as the backdrop that they're set against, the zombies can, can tell us a lot about ourselves. And I think the zombies have been humanised to a point where it's like the role reversal as well. Like we, we can see the humanity in them it's, as well as the zombie-like behaviour in us. Yeah, it's like a few of the films we've touched on. We've now come full circle. We've seen how in reflection of their erraticness and their behaviour, we've actually become to behave like them. Who knows, like, they might actually become to behave like us. They, they were the ones that grew the conscious and we were the ones that go right back to... Yeah, right. Similar relationship that we have to AI, Yeah, in a sense. But yeah, I guess it teaches us essentially we're best when we're at our most human and worse when we lose our humanity and what it is to be human entirely. And sometimes we end up behaving worse than than the undead themselves. <laughs> worse. This is us behaving worse than things that rise out of the greys and eat flesh for a living. Sorry, not the undead. No. The reanimated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that episode of the schism we've got plenty more episodes on the way 
In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies. Thank you.